If you ache for truth, goodness, and beauty, if you're hungry for a Christianity with substance and strength, if you long for a faith that's big and bold and biblical and all about Jesus Christ, if you're inspired by the idea of one church that has spanned 20 centuries, 24 time zones, and two hemispheres, enfolding every race, nation, and language, then you're considering Catholicism. So once again, I'm here with Corey, and we are sitting in the piney woods at the secret compound on the shore of a great lake. And it is the evening. The, the twilight is slipping through the pines. Yeah, it's a beautiful evening. It's a beautiful summer evening. And we are out here talking about the Catholic faith once again. And the last few episodes, so a lot of you listened, uh, Corey and I did several episodes on essentially faith and science. We mm-hmm. talked about creation and what the Catholic Church teaches about, you know, the creation of man, creation of the world. We talked about the Galileo myth. We talked about, you know, faith and science. And then uh, the last few episodes, we Ed and I followed up on that and talked about the Bible, what we know about the Bible, what about the Bible, certain Catholic versus Protestant Bibles. And so anyway, and thinking about where to go with this, it seemed we were on this sort of track where we were talking about kind of faith and knowledge and belief. What's true and what isn't what's true. What's true, yeah, yeah, what's true, what isn't true. And so I thought, well, why don't we just talk about that? And so we're going to have a couple of conversations this evening, a couple of episodes, where we talk about exactly that, what we know, what we don't know, what we believe, what we don't believe, and what faith is and what it is not and what it requires us to believe and how we believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so there are 25 cent words, and then there are 50 cent words, and then there are like dollar bill words. Mm-hmm. And a dollar bill word is epistemology. Okay? Yes. Epistemology. Not many of you have heard this word before, but what it is, it is the field or the subset of philosophy that studies knowledge, what we know, how we know things what counts as knowledge, what doesn't count as knowledge, what counts as proof, what counts as evidence, what doesn't. And it's a huge field. And, you know, philosophers have been arguing about it since Aristotle. And it's pretty complex. And when I was an undergraduate at studying philosophy, I, for whatever reason, the the university that I went to, the philosophy department, most of the professors were super into epistemology and they were super into certain aspects of it. And it just seemed like for two or three years there, all I took are these classes. And it's a pretty deep and somewhat weird thing. So I would be taking all these classes at college and we were studying, you know, all of these uh, famous philosophers who debated knowledge, people like Descartes and Barclay and Hume and Kant and on and on and on. And then I would go home for Christmas break or something. And my parents would say, so what are you learning at college? (laughs) And I would say, well, we're studying this philosopher who said, maybe we're all just like brains in a tank and an evil genius is is deceiving us. And, you know, the world around us isn't real. And two plus two doesn't really equal four and all this kind of stuff. And then my, of course, parents were 
very alarmed that I was wasting their money and right, time. Exactly. What are we paying for? <laughs> yeah, by going to university and studying this kind of nonsense. And, you know, over a couple of years of that, you know, I began to realize that, you know, it was important to learn some of that stuff if you want to understand philosophy and the history of philosophy and intellectual thought and critical thinking skills. But it really wasn't terribly useful. And I mean that quite in the full sense of the word. You can't live that way, doubting the real world, doubting human knowledge, with all the kind of weird nooks and crannies of epistemology that philosophy had gotten into in the last couple hundred years. I remember arguing with graduate students and other students and professors and stuff like that and saying, you know, you, you, we can talk about this in a classroom all day long, but nobody can really live this way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, nobody is really going to get on an airplane if you think the airplane was designed by a guy who, you know, doubts the real world. Right. It and doesn't does, inspire confidence. Yeah, it doesn't know that two, can't say that two plus two equals, and you're not going to, and if the guy f- who fueled the airplane said, hey, half a tank, a full tank, three quarters of a tank, what difference, who can really say? And don't get me started on the guy driving the airplane. Yeah, the guy <laughs> driving the airplane who said, am I at 30,000 feet, 3,000 feet, does it really matter? Who knows? There's what I perceive. <laughs> how can I tell? My, yeah, how can I tell? I want my copilot. So it, it really is kind of a, an academic parlor trick. But I remember that for myself, part of my journey to Catholicism was as I got into graduate school, I encountered St. Thomas Aquinas. And it was like, you know, the light bulb went off, like I saw the light, because here was the great Catholic philosopher, the great Catholic theologian, who actually said, you can know things. We can look at the world around us. God gave us an orderly and rational universe. He made us orderly beings. He gave us the gift of reason and natural law. And we can know things and we can build knowledge and we can have certainty. And and really, I think in a lot of ways, that was, you know, one of the, the first steps on my road to the Catholic Church was beginning to realize that Thomas Aquinas, or at least, you know, his approach to what we can know and what knowledge and belief and faith is and all of that, how we interact with the world around us, that was something that was reliable and stable. So all of that to be said... I just want to acknowledge to those listeners out there that know a little bit about this, maybe have taken some college courses and, you know, Descartes and the cogito, I think, therefore I am, and all this kind of business that we're, we're really not going to talk about that tonight <laughs> because this is the Considering Catholicism podcast. But I acknowledge that it's out there. Right, Corey? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and it's important to acknowledge it because it, it is something that people may have encountered even if it's not in that academic sense, just kind of out in the cultural waters and the way that people talk about things. Well, if, if you saw the movie, The Matrix mm-hmm. or The Matrix movies, right? The Matrix was basically Rene Descartes, you know, we're all like brains in a tank. And mm-hmm. the how world, do I know that the evil demon isn't just giving me all these sensations? Yeah, the, the world is yeah. an illusion. And then now sort of the, the contemporary version, If for those of you who think this is silly, spend two seconds in the Google machine and what you'll find is serious academics and serious thinkers and people in the tech world who their whole hypothesis is that we're all living in a computer simulation. Right. That right. there are these aliens, advanced aliens somewhere who made this giant like video game or computer simulation game and we're just characters in it. So it's silly, it's weird, and I don't want to go there. You got a large bug on your shoulder. Oh my just goodness. Just in case you Oh, uh, I do believe that there. there's a large there, bug. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so with all of that preamble behind us, let's talk about knowledge, belief, and faith. And what I want to do is put on the table, sort of metaphorically Mm -hmm. in front of us, these three buckets, categories. 
knowledge, belief, and faith. And I want to talk about them one at a time. Okay. okay. And, and we're going to save faith for last because that's obviously the important part. Mm-hmm. So let's, let's talk about knowledge. So generally within epistemology and especially within Catholic epistemology, what we would say is that knowledge is something that I am certain of but that I am justifiably certain of. Right. You have some legitimate reason for knowing that. And not just a preponderance of evidence. Mm -hmm. So here's an example. Suppose that I'm in a place of sports bet, and I'm like, I think this team's going to win the Super Bowl, and and this is, I think, the point spread. And I'm really, really sure of it. I tell my friends, I'm really sure of this sports bet, right? And it works out and happens to be true, and I win the bet. Now, the question is, did I know that that team was going to win and that was going to be the spread? Or did I believe it and basically got lucky, Mm -hmm. right? Because there's a difference between saying that I know something because I'm justified in knowing it versus saying that I believe something and it happens to be true. Right, right. Right. So let's talk about some of the things that count as knowledge. One of the things that's most usually mentioned is the truths of mathematics. Mm -hmm. So two plus two equals four. Right. It's self-evident. It's self-evident. Right. If you have two things and you had another two things, it's four things. You can clearly observe that that is true. Well, it's not just by observation. Mm -hmm. It's by reason. So in other words, if I said, okay, I'm going to take, you know, two things and add two things and I'm going to do that a thousand times or 10,000 times and it always turns out to be four. That's not how I know that two plus two equals four because we've tested it and counted a lot of times. We know by reason and self-evident reason by definition of the terms that two things plus two things equals four things. And so there are all these truths in mathematics that are like that. And there, there are other things. So let's go back to Thomas Aquinas and Catholicism. One of the things that Aquinas says is that we can know things because we have natural reason. Mm-hmm. Okay, so God gives us this gift of reason and we live in a naturally ordered universe in which things are consistent. There's natural law, there's natural order. And one of the things that St. Thomas talks about all the time is essences and that we can know things by essences. So here's my example of that. I know that a circle is a shape in which all of the sides are equidistant from the center. Right. I don't need to draw 10,000 circles and use a ruler to test that hypothesis because the essence, the definition of a circle is a shape in which all of the sides are equidistant from the center. I don't even need to draw a bunch of them and, and test it. It's true by essence. It's true by definition. And in the same way, I know by reason, based on essences and definition, that there can never be a square circle. Because the definition of a square is something that is contradictory to the definition of a circle. Right. And the law of non-contradiction tells me that you cannot have a shape in which all of the sides are equidistant from the center and also in which some of the sides are not equidistant from the center. Right. So, so... That's true. And I would also, just to throw that out there, say Thomas Aquinas would say, by that same process, I can know that a man can never be a woman. Yeah, or something that's blue can't be red. Or Right, yeah. because by essence and definition, 
what a man is, what by definition and the essence of that thing Mm -hmm. can never be the other thing. Right. And, And now I can look down the street and see somebody walking down the street and go from this distance, I'm not sure if that is a man or a woman, but that's a different question. Right, right. What I do know is if I get close enough and, you know, you know, determine it is going to be one or the other. It can't be both. So Thomas Aquinas says, look, there's a whole lot of things based on observation of the natural world, right? Empirical observation, scientific method, reason, essence, natural law, that by the gift of reason, we can combine and it becomes legitimate, justifiable knowledge. Mm-hmm. We can have certainty of it and we can, and we can in a sense, show our, show the, like you, 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 in school when you did math and you had to show your show work. Your work. Yeah. You can in a sense, show your work. This is how I know that this is true. Mm-hmm. Make sense? Yep. Okay. So that's knowledge. Now let's talk about belief because belief is a little bit different. Belief is when I look at something and I say, well, I believe that that is true, and I may even have a high degree of confidence in it, but it's not justified or I can't prove it. So, for example, I believe that we landed on the moon and it wasn't all faked in a movie studio. Right. A lot of, well, more or less any historical fact would fit under this category of belief or, or even you, you could say uh, scientific facts or, or theories um, because I haven't done the experimentation myself. I don't have justification for it in the sense that we were using when talking about knowledge, but I can still have very good reason for believing it based on proofs that other people have told me on the on authority of people who are knowledgeable about these things. That doesn't mean that every belief I have is automatically true, but it, it's still a, a reliable way of knowing things. Right. But belief also involves a sort of humility mm-hmm. and healthy skepticism. So, for example, I believe that Paris exists because I've been to Paris. And so I have a high degree of confidence mm-hmm. in that. But I have never been to Azerbaijan. And so what I know about Azerbaijan, I know from reading books or watching videos. Mm-hmm. Here's another one. I know, and I feel confident saying that I know that the person across from me claims to be Corey Lakatos, <laughs> but I can't know without certainty that, you know, you're not an FBI witness protection. And when I met you, you had, you I've know, been, I've been replaced with a clever double. Yeah. Yes. Or whatever. Right. I mean, so, so there are certain things and all, I mean, some of this gets silly, but, but look, look at, look at real things. Let's suppose you say, uh, do you know that your wife loves you? Mm. Or do you know that your children are good children and aren't doing bad things right now, right? And there's certain things that you want to believe. Uh, So you think about the spouse who says, I want to believe that my husband is faithful to me and isn't cheating, you know, with his secretary at the office or something, right? Mm -hmm. And maybe I overlook evidence to the contrary. See, it seems to me that belief is based on this sort of preponderance of evidence. Like when we sit in a courtroom and a jury says, okay, here's all of this evidence or in science or anything else or or history, whatever, Mm -hmm. you say, I've got this evidence, this evidence, this evidence. And that includes, say, arguments from authority. I believe in the moon landings because plenty of reputable authorities that I choose to believe. But there's other Mm -hmm. things maybe the government tells me that I don't know if I believe. Right. Right. 
I personally do not believe that what people call UFOs are spaceships from another star system that have flown here and and zip around and abduct people and dissect cows and, you know, make crop circles. Like, I personally don't believe that's what is going on. Now, I I could be wrong. Maybe tomorrow I'll be proved wrong, right? Mm -hmm. I want to believe in that Sasquatch is in these woods, but as of yet, I I don't have enough evidence to sort of convince me of that, even though Mm -hmm. I want to. Right. So I, what I'm trying to argue at is that there's a whole category of things that we might talk about, you know, as belief. And we're going to get into this in a minute when we start talking about matters of the Catholic faith or religion, because there's some aspects of our faith or some aspects or claims of our religion that we have to believe. Mm-hmm. Right. So I believe that our pastor is a good man. I may believe that the Shroud of Turin is authentic, but I don't know that I can know that mm-hmm. unless right. the church declares it. We'll get into that in a second, right? Yep. In the next episode. So there is, it seems to me that like there's this hierarchy of knowledge. Certain things start out here as sort of belief and that, you know, you have reason to believe these things or sort of a preponderance of evidence. You have growing certainty and certain things sort of cross this threshold into what you might call knowledge because the the evidence is so strong or the reasons for believing are so strong that it justifies certainty. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yep, that, that, that makes sense. And for both knowledge and, and belief, the categories we've talked about so far, I mean, there are ways to go wrong that we've talked about with knowledge, even if I'm, you know, dealing with self-evident truths like the definition of a circle or or something like that, I can still make errors of judgment and and make mistakes um, because I'm not perfect in my reasoning. And as you were saying with with belief, I could trust someone who is not actually trustworthy or there might be evidence that I'm just not privy to and and therefore I come to a false conclusion. Or as you said, it might be confirmation bias or my desire to believe something. And so that doesn't mean that we can't know things. Uh, right. we, we can, but in both senses, we can have valid knowledge and valid beliefs. But as, as you said before, it is something that requires intellectual humility and um, willingness to put in the effort to, to reason well and to look for evidence and to, to come to well-founded knowledge and beliefs. I think there's a, there's a healthy skepticism and an unhealthy skepticism. Mm-hmm. Like all that silly stuff that I studied as an undergraduate about how, you know, we're brains and tanks, we're living in a simulation or whatever. is, is just silly skepticism. But think about problem solving. Mm-hmm. Um, you're the engineer on the nuclear submarine and there's something wrong with the engines and you have to, you have to diagnose or, or you're a doctor and you're trying to diagnose somebody. And so you're running tests and you're diagnosing and you're testing your hypotheses and let's test this and let's see this, right? And, you know, there's a sort of healthy skepticism that forces you to sort of check your work, mm-hmm. to sort of, you know, do the math over again, right? Like, I mean, most of us do this in our day-to-day life, right? If we're problem solving something at work or we're doing our finances or before you do make a major purchase, like buying a car or, mm-hmm. you know, a house or whatever, you might go over your spreadsheet multiple times, sure. you know, to confirm, yeah. you know, you go to your financial advisor, go, am I sure I can retire at this date, right? So yeah. there are certain things that you're going to, you're going to have a sort of healthy skepticism that leads you to sort of re-examine the evidence and maybe even check that or maybe to get 
a second opinion. Well, yeah, and and in the case of many beliefs that are based on trust or based on authority, you're you're going to uh, interrogate that authority in some way. I mean, not always literally. I mean, you sometimes literally if it's you know a courtroom situation or something, or you're going to look at the track record of a government authority or of a of someone or of a scientist and and see if they seem reliable or probably you uh, spent some time around a woman before you married her to to figure out whether she was trustworthy and wasn't just you know uh, right. telling you lies and <laughs> you know it's interesting I, I wasn't going to bring this up but it just popped in my head because my wife and I had this conversation exact conversation this morning over our morning coffee so we get up in the morning and we mm-hmm. before we head out the door we kind of drink a cup of coffee and we look at the news on our iPads or whatever and you know mm-hmm. read the news and talk about the day and whatever and I don't know something had come up about crime and she works in a in a retail business mm-hmm. and she says shoplifting has just exploded in the last couple of years in her business. And so we got into this whole conversation because I've been reading essays and thought pieces or whatever about what happens in a low trust society. Mm-hmm. Like if you live in a high trust society where you go, you know, generally you can trust your neighbors, you can trust your employees, you can trust your employers, you can impl- trust the police, you can trust the politicians, you can trust the institutions. The kind of neighborhood where you don't lock your door. Yeah, but but it's more complex than this, that, mm-hmm. right? So do you trust the banks? Do you trust the lending institutions? Do you trust the government and the regulators over the financial institutions? Do you trust the police? Do you mm-hmm. trust the prosecutors? Do you try... She and I were talking about this morning. What happens is you sort of cross this crisis threshold where trust becomes shattered in a society, and now you're skeptical of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you've lived through one of these things, like, well, why didn't the the bank regulators, you know, stop the crazy speculators who mm. who destroyed the banking system? Right, right. Or why do we have corrupt prosecutors that are prosecuting some people and not others? Or why do we believe our politicians? when they tell us things, uh, right? Mm -hmm. Or do you trust the cops when you find out there's dirty cops who hide evidence? Or do you trust, you know, neighbors? Or do you trust employees who embezzle or, right? And so what happens is when that trust becomes eroded in a low trust society, and there are low trust societies around the world and always have been, it becomes very hard to, to operate because Here's the thing, right? Let's bring this back to Catholicism. I wasn't going to talk about this, right? But but look at how many people were shattered by the abuse scandals right. in the church where you go, well, hey, priests were abusing, you know, children or whatever, and then bishops covered it up. And, and then now you've eroded the trust in the church and you start to say, well, if, they'll, if they won't be honest about that, then are they honest about other things? What can I trust them about? Yeah. And then you want to say, well, I trust them about doctrine. Do I trust them about this? But and, you know, Ed and I just spent a couple of episodes talking about the Old Testament and the New Testament and what happened over 100, 150 years in biblical studies is you eroded trust in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And now you right. go, I don't know if the scriptures are trustworthy. And I don't know if when you read the gospels, if they really say what you think they say. And I don't know if, you know, you read the Old Testament, if it really says if these are authentic documents or re-edited or, you know, right. Mm-hmm. And so... So much of our epistemology, so much of our system of knowledge and belief is a complex multi-factor thing that involves trust in authorities, trust in evidence, trust in observation, trust in mentors, Mm -hmm. trust in each other. Do I trust my wife? Do I trust my professor? Do I trust my priest? Do I trust my bishop? Do I trust my pope? Do I trust my president? Do I trust my 
you know, the, the, the cops, et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. And when that gets eroded, you know, what happens is people retreat epistemically into a space where you don't know what to believe. Mm-hmm. And I think, by the way, that's where we are, not just in politics and social things, but I think that's where so, why so many people have left the church and why so many people don't believe you know, or, or skeptical of Christianity. Right. There's, there's a severe lack of trust in authority. And so people isolate themselves, as you're saying, they only are willing to believe what they think is credible and not what others tell them. And oftentimes not even very confidently believing what they. I mean, in, in the, in the giant picture of the Catholic church spread across, mm-hmm. you know, the world, our little podcast here is, you know, a microcosm of a microcosm of a microcosm of a, you know, mm-hmm. you know, electron on the smallest molecule. We're a tiny little thing. But I think that the kind of things we're trying to do is, is establish conversation with people because it's no longer good enough to say Bishop so-and-so says, because nobody believes Bishop so-and-so anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, just based on the authority of Bishop so-and-so because the trust has been eroded. Right. So what we have to do in these kinds of conversations like we try to have here on the podcast and with our listeners is you're trying to walk through that reasoning process. Here's natural law. Here's reason. Here's evidence. Here's why Catholicism teaches what it teaches, why we believe what we believe, and hopefully walking people through that process where they can, you know, they can come to a sense of belief and maybe even knowledge. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. Okay. So we've talked about knowledge and we've talked about belief. Now we come to this third category I wanted to put on the table. And, and really, in some sense, it's the important one. And it's the category of faith. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, faith is interesting. And I think it's often misunderstood. People talk about what is faith. And, and for a lot of skeptics, faith is inner, irrational belief. Right. And based on the last 20 minutes, all we've been trying to say is there is a thing called belief, like belief in UFOs, belief in Sasquatch, belief that Corey is not in witness protection and his name really isn't, you know, whatever. Right. I mean, there's a lot, and I, I don't actually don't know that you aren't right. I mean, when I met you 10 and years, if I was, I couldn't tell you. Right. And when I met you 10 years ago, you introduced yourself as Corey, but you know, for all I know, it's an alias. Right. Um, and so, you know, so when it comes to that, there is a thing that is belief, but there is a thing called faith and it's not simply irrational belief or irrational knowledge. I mean, that's why I wanted to lay out those first two categories because faith is really what Thomas Aquinas would have called a tertium quid, a third thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we can talk about what faith means. We can debate, you know, what faith means. We can throw out different definitions, but fortunately we don't have to because the Bible defines faith for us. And it defines faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Mm-hmm. I mean, it defines it, and I'm going to read it. This is from the uh, Revised Standard Version, okay? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Say that again. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And this is why I'm saying it's what Aquinas would call a tertium quid, a third thing. Because what it is, it is belief in things that you can't prove, but uh, but about which you have certain knowledge, Mm. right? So the whole point of the last 20 minutes was to say there's knowledge, like I know that a circle is not a square, and I know that two plus two equals four, and I know this, and I know that, right? Mm -hmm. 
And then there's belief. I believe in Sasquatch or I don't believe in Sasquatch. I believe that Corey is not in witness protection or I think he isn't, right? Or I believe my wife is faithful or I think she isn't. But what you end up with in faith is a kind of belief, things that I cannot prove based on reason. Mm -hmm. So based on, you know, natural law, reason, I can't prove them based on necessarily empirical evidence. But it is a kind of belief that transcends belief and is and becomes certain knowledge. So it's the assurance of things that I hope for. Remember we talked about mm-hmm. belief where you hope to believe something or you want to believe something. There are certain things that I'm going to believe in, that, that by faith, I, I, I'm going to choose to believe that Jesus rose from the dead on the third day. Now, I wasn't there. I have some reason to believe it because the gospels testify and I can talk about the historical record, but I can't prove it, but I am assured of it. And I want to talk a little bit about how we become assured of that. Mm-hmm. And I know you've got some quotes here from the catechism and other things, but before you give those, I just want to yeah. kind of unpack this and I'm going to let you run. What I think is that in faith, I choose to believe. And in a sense, God backs my choice mm-hmm. and he strengthens my belief until I feel conviction and assurance. And I want to give an example from scripture of this, and then I'll let you go. Okay. All right. Because I know that, I don't think you're going to disagree with me, but I think you want to make, introduce some nuances. To sure, this. sure. So Mark, Gospel of Mark, chapter nine, mm-hmm. there's this father and he has this son who is uh, possessed by a demon, right? Mm-hmm. Demon, demon possession. And so he comes to Jesus' disciples and he says, help my son, help my son. Jesus hears them talking over, you know, 20 feet away from him or whatever. Right. Like, what are you guys going on about in the crowd? And and they say, well, you know, the dad says, well, I've come to the disciples and they're trying to heal him, but nothing seems to work. And Jesus says, uh, by faith, all things are possible. Okay. For the, all things are possible for those who believe, right? Mm-hmm. With faith. Right, right. And then I love this. The father says, okay, and I'm going to read the quote. Jesus said to him, if all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe but help my unbelief. Mm-hmm. And I've always found that passage interesting, right? Like it seems it'd be a contradiction. How can you say I believe, but help my unbelief? Because I think what the father is saying is I want to believe. I choose to believe. I be- want to believe in Jesus, but I am racked by doubt. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the cry of faith. A lot of us have that. I want to believe that Jesus is Lord. I want to believe he died on the cross. I want to believe he rose again. I want to believe, you know, in the truths of the gospel, I want to believe those things, but in my humanity, I'm full of doubt because there's skepticism. There's, there's, you know, I don't have the kind of evidence that I do of two plus two equals four, all these kinds of things. And so it takes, you know, an act of grace by the, of the Holy Spirit, an act of grace of God for the Holy Spirit to take my choice to believe mm-hmm. or my belief merely in the preponderance of evidence and in a sense, supercharge that or strengthen that so that it boosts up and crosses the threshold into knowledge. Right, right. Okay, so that's what, how I'm positing what faith is. Now, I know you have a lot of thoughts. Yeah, uh, no, I, I mean, I, I think that is, is definitely true and, and a good way to look at it. And, and part of what I'm hearing there, and, and I think an important uh, factor of this is the, the content of faith, because we talked about knowledge 
as predominantly being about things that are uh, self-evident, things I can know by reason um, and to some extent by observation. Belief is also based on, on reasons, on evidence. And as you said there at the beginning, faith isn't contrary to that. I, can, I certainly can and should have evidence for the things that I believe, things I have faith in, and they shouldn't be contrary to reason. The, the church doesn't hold out for us to have faith in things that are ridiculous or irrational. Like reason can bring us so far, but then God gives grace and he, he allows us to be certain of things that we cannot fully prove. And those things are the contents of the faith. Uh, Like in the Hebrews quote that you said, where it's um, assurance of things hoped for, convictions of things not seen. That's not just any old things that I hope for or that that I haven't seen. It's the promises of of God. Um, it's, It's what Christ gives us and promises us, his salvation and his redemption. And so we certainly have evidence of those things. And some of that is based on authority, the church has told us, or my parents have told me, or the the priest or the bishop has told me, or the Bible records this. But anybody can approach that data and still reject it or not come to faith. There's, there's the element of human desire and ev- evidence and investigation that you uh, identified in that, that man, his wanting to believe in the gospel. And then there's the grace of God active in someone uh, that sort of closes the gap, so to speak. Uh, the, the gospel passage that comes to my mind is when uh, Peter confesses uh, that, that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says to him, blessed are you, Simon Peter, you don't know this by flesh and blood, but because my father has revealed it to you. And so there's a sort of duality to faith um, that it is absolutely a human act that's not contrary to reason, and that is based on on evidence and belief, but it is also something that is a grace, a free gift of God that we don't arrive at totally independently. So in some sense, it's a mystery how those two things can can coincide, but they they do. And so man is involved, but God is also involved in the act of faith. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, and I do want to circle back to something you said in there about mm-hmm. <clears throat> whether something is, I'll come back to it, but I think you said something effective, whether something is kind of like a, I don't know how you phrased it, but a, like a crazy belief or an sure, irrational sure. belief. Because I think that some of the, the things that we are called to believe by faith seem pretty crazy, like a man rising from the dead or that there is one God and three persons, but not three gods, only one, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, those things are not, self-evident and they are a huge stretch and mm-hmm. we're called to believe them. But I, I want to uh, affirm what you're saying. I Like, I think that in the normal course of events, I think that what happens is we make a choice to believe something and then God strengthens it. But that's not always the case. Sometimes that sequence is inverted. There are times when we just feel an assurance you know, and all of us who have say have been at some instance in our life where maybe against all hope, we just felt this assurance of something, mm-hmm. right? Or, you know, maybe in our conversion process, I'll share a story that I've never shared. I don't think 
not only on the podcast, I don't think I've ever shared it with anybody. Wow. So you, Corey, the first one to ever hear this story. Wow. Well, I, you, I'm honored. Well, you and several thousand people. <laughs> well, but me first. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> so the first moment that I can remember, I think, really believing in God, genuinely really believing in God. And I mean, instead of in a sort of a vague way mm. or believing in Christianity and, and, and experiencing that he was real was I was a freshman in college or being my sophomore year and I had a buddy with a motorcycle and he's like, it was a summer night and he's like, let's go for a ride in the mountains. And it was kind of crazy. You come right in the back of his motorcycle, right. <laughs> whatever, which, you know, wasn't very dignified. You know, it's like, uh, I'm just know. nervous hearing about it. Yeah. Well, you know, and of course back in the days were helmets. Now it was just not very dignified. Like I'm riding, you know, I'm riding like, right. Yeah. You know, like a, his girlfriend on the back of his motorcycle. <laughs> it wasn't very cool, but you know, we were like 18 or 19. So, you know, but we go driving way up in the mountains on this summer night. And I remember that we came upon this little roadside chapel and I didn't even know about Catholicism at the time, but now I look back and it, it must have been like a Catholic shrine chapel, right? Mm-hmm. This little tiny thing. It was like the size of a tool shed. Like you walked in it and there yeah, was like yeah. maybe like six, four or five people could fit in this thing. And it was right on the side of this highway way up in the mountains, this twisty little road. And we kind of like, what is this? And we pull off and we go in there and there was, I remember there was like a crucifix, you know, like a, you know, with Jesus on it. And there were like some little statues and candles. And right, I, right. of course I didn't really understand it all, but I'll never forget being like 18, 19 years old going, having this profound sense of the supernatural in that space. And, you know, we drove away from it and I don't know, that I really understood it other than that I had this profound sense of the supernatural that God was real and Christianity was there. And I went away and it was another year or two before I kind of even, you know, acted on that. Mm -hmm. But I can look back at what you're saying. There's times where God in a sense intervenes Mm -hmm. in our life and he gives us assurance or communication or something. And then our belief grows out of that. Other times, though, and having spent a lot of my career as an evangelist, leading people through Bible studies, doing things like in writing books, doing this podcast, walking people through, let me explain, you know, the claims of Christianity or Catholicism to you that some people will take this march of, okay, I've learned this, I've learned this, and the evidence seems to grow and I make a choice to believe. But either way, I think you're right. There are two essential components. And the first essential component is that I do make a choice. Mm -hmm. And the second one is that God, in a sense, strengthens my choice. And it may, those, the the sequence of that may be kind of, you know, complex. Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's, it's made more complex that we as human beings are agents that are in time and we're moving through that linearly, you know, cause and effect one thing to another from past to future. God is not like that. He's outside of time and can, can act however he wants in relation to it. And so, yeah, sometimes maybe the first thing is more deliberate and a choice. Sometimes it's the grace. And sometimes I think a lot of times our hearts and our minds are a mystery to us and we don't know which was first or exactly how things are going or why we made a choice or, or those kinds of things. It, it can be a mystery to experience it and for it to, to un- unfold in one's life. But yeah, as you said, the, the sort of 
basic principles of it is that it, it's it's human action and will, a choice, but it also is aided by God. It's not totally just natural to me. You know, I'm thinking of so many examples from scripture, mm-hmm. right? So like Old Testament, one of the ones that leaps from to, to my mind is the book of Jonah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I won't go into it all now, right? But Jonah is called to go to Nineveh which is like, they were super bad people. <laughs> They're super like, it was like a combination of Nazi Germany and the Conan the Barbarian. Like, <laughs> just like really super bad people. And Jonah doesn't want to go there and, and, and preach. And God says, go there and tell them about the God of Israel. And he's like, no, I'm not going to go tell these people. They don't believe in the God of Israel. They're horrible people. The, you know, and they've persecuted us. And I hope that they all, you know, die miserable deaths, right? So anyway, through this whole long sequence of events, Jonah eventually goes to Nineveh and he walks through the streets of Nineveh and he preaches, uh, the God of Israel tells you to repent. And weirdly, they all do. Yeah. And they don't do it because they've been sort of rationally convinced by apologetics. God just clearly strikes them in a way. And then I think about in the New Testament, like in the book of Acts, the journeys of Paul. And at one point, Paul goes to Athens and he goes to the philosophers in Athens and he gives them every great reason why they ought to believe, right? Mm-hmm. Unpacks all of this stuff, apologetics, arguments, blah, 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 evidence, stories, and they don't, even mm-hmm. though they have every reason to do it. But for whatever reason, they choose not to, or the Holy Spirit doesn't touch them. And then what he does is he goes over to Macedonia and he goes to the city of Philippi and he goes down one day by the creek outside the town and he finds some women that are washing clothes. And he's, and he's like, and they're like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, you know, I'm here. And you know, this thing about Jesus. And they're like, oh, wow. Okay, we believe. Yeah. And there's a woman named Lydia and she founds the house church and they becomes the most beloved church of Paul in the New Testament. And so, you know, what I saw over the years as an evangelist was that the, the, the reasons people come to faith are often complex and, and in some, ways, some ways indecipherable. Sometimes I think God makes the first move and sometimes we make the first move. But I think it's important that we make a move because when you read that, that passage in Hebrews, the entire chapter of Hebrews says, okay, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the certainty of things not seen. And then it says, and for this reason, all of these heroes of the faith were commended by right. God. So Abraham did this, did this by faith, did this. Now, if faith was merely a gift mm-hmm. of God and had no human choice component to it, then it would be silly to, to in a sense, commend those heroes of the faith for choosing, for, for having faith because they had nothing to do with it. And, and I want to just say this, this is why I left Calvinism. Mm-hmm. So Calvinism teaches that human reason is, is depraved, right? We are, we are uh, fully fallen, right? Total depravity. And our reason is corrupted. And, we, and our reason can't make choices. We can't know anything for, with certainty. We can't make, you know, he, he derided Thomas Aquinas. He derided natural law, natural reason. The only way that we can know anything is it's a gift of faith by the Holy Spirit. And... And the thing is, then, then there's no, then basically, you know, faith is simply a thing that's just given to some people and not others. Mm-hmm. And so Calvin would say, well, you know, I know this by faith. And someone says, well, I disagree with you. Well, that's because God hasn't given you faith, mm-hmm. right? And I know that I'm right because I have faith. So it seems to me that there's two things, as you said, that have to be preserved. There is human will and human choice. And then there is 
the divine strengthening of that and the assurance, right? I mean, how many hymns are about this? Like blessed mm-hmm. assurance, that sense of confidence that comes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, because if you take out the element of human will and choice, then you end up with simply puppets or it becomes a sort of secret knowledge. Well, God gave me the secret knowledge and he didn't give it to you. And so, ha ha. And if you go the other way and you take out grace, the action of God, then it's simply a matter of intelligence and, and smarts. Like if, if I'm smart enough to figure it out, then bully for me, I have faith. And if you're too dumb to, to figure it out, then, well, I guess this is, this is a system of, you know, the highest IQ gets, gets saved in God and his great wisdom doesn't set it up in either way. He always acts. We can't do it without him just by our own strength because we're awesome. But he also doesn't choose to do it without us. You know, one of my dearest and oldest friends who from college, who was one of the people that was instrumental in leading me to accept Christ and become a Christian. I'll never forget what he said way back all those years ago when I was a college student. He was talking about the Apostles' Creed. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know, the Apostles' Creed is the kind of thing that if you're being martyred and you're being burned at the cross, mm-hmm. you know, or they're doing the Nagasaki martyrs to you and some horrible thing, right? You know, feeding you to the lions like the Romans or whatever. It, it's the Apostles' Creed that gives me the confidence to die. Mm-hmm. And I think what he meant is not just the intellectual component of it, that sense of assurance and confidence. I believe in God, the father almighty maker of heaven and earth, right? And Jesus Christ is only son, our Lord. I believe he rose on the third day. I believe right in the resurrection Mm -hmm. of the dead. And so when the lion comes out of that thing or they go to light the fire, you know, under my feet and and burn me, uh, I'm willing to do that because I have that conviction, that, that assurance of things not seen, that certainty of faith and the, the certain knowledge of those things. And that knowledge is, is not always something that I can demonstrate or prove in the same way that I can prove that two plus two equals four, but it's something that I am as confident of as I am that two plus two equals four. And that confidence, I think, is the part that comes from the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Great. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop the recording. Then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the things that Catholicism teaches because there really is sort of a hierarchy of things that we are called to believe by faith, right? Mm -hmm. There are certain truths like the Apostles' Creed that we are called to believe absolutely by faith. And then there are some things that we're called to believe, but not the same level of confidence and certainty. Mm -hmm. So uh, hopefully that intrigues you and you'll stick around for the next episode. All right. Very good. Thanks. Bye. Thank you for listening. My name is Greg Smith. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, would you please hit the like and subscribe buttons wherever you get your podcasts and please share it with others. And if you're curious about the Catholic worldview and faith, the church and its saints, or Catholic history, culture, and art, then visit consideringcatholicism.com. And email me to let me know what you think. Greg at consideringcatholicism.com.